Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today, we are working through Matthew 14. We're picking up where we left off yesterday. And if you're just joining us, I would invite you to at least go back the last couple days so you can start with Matthew chapter 14 at the beginning. And we are actually working our way through an introductory series to the Gospels where I'm explaining some of the history, the culture, the background in an effort to help you understand some of the things that are lost on us as modern readers. Available in the show notes, there's a link for you, but we have journaling prompts that go along with each and every episode to help you get this information from your head to your heart. We also have family discussion guides that go along with this content, and they marry this content with the children's episodes, which also covers the same content, just explained in a way that kids can understand. And again, those are just additional resources to help you and your family grow together spiritually. And then if you have something that's just resonating with you that you need to work through, I also also offer spiritual direction and life coaching. Again, you can get the link in the show notes or head to shehears.org for more information. So we're in Matthew chapter 14, and I'm picking up at verse 13. We're going to read verses 13 through 21. This is a familiar passage, probably for most of you. It says, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard about this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he came ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is secluded and the hour is already past to eat. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. And ordering the crowds to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up toward heaven. He blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about five thousand men who ate, besides women and children. Now this is likely a familiar passage that you've heard taught a lot. But I think there are some things that are happening both theologically and symbolically that are important for us to point out. Now, of course, in that time frame, in the Palestinian diet, bread and fish were basic staples. Meat was more expensive and it was something that was probably only eaten at feasts or wedding celebrations, those kinds of things. And I just want to point out that this was the normal situation that the disciples were expecting that the crowds would disperse because teachers were not normally responsible for the feeding of their disciples from their own meats. 
So in ancient times, students would often even pay their teachers, although there were some that were self-supporting. It would have been a mark of honor to invite a teacher to dinner to show them hospitality. But here, Jesus flips the script. As the teacher, he is now assuming the role of host or provider. I love that aspect. And I think it's interesting, I want to point out, where the disciples are going to Jesus with this problem, and it's almost a, a role reversal again, where he says, you give them some something to eat. And there's this expectation that Jesus has that the disciples will be the ones to provide for the crowds in some obviously miraculous way. And that is a revelation according to what we've been learning over the last couple of weeks. It's called the mission discourse where Jesus has granted authority to the 12 to do the miraculous. Back, back in chapter 10, we started to see that. And so his expectation is not only has he given them authority to do the miraculous, but he expects them to follow the pattern of his own ministry that he has set forth over the last couple of weeks. And so what the disciples really do here is they show again their lack of faith, that little faith that Jesus says over and over that they have little faith because they're completely forgetting about this whole understanding of what God has called them to do and how Jesus has empowered them. And I think that happens with us as well. I think even in times where we have seen God move and operate and act in our lives, perhaps even through our lives in a miraculous way, we forget that we have access to the Holy Spirit all the time. It's not just for one specific incident. It's for the empowerment of how we're to live our lives and be living on mission. And it's interesting because even the largest villages in that time frame would be nowhere near the amount of people that are here. So some of those villages on the larger side would have been around 3,000 residents. Well, this story tells us that there were 5,000 men, not to mention the women and the children. Well, typically a situation like this, it would have been at least the husband and the wife. And most of them didn't have just one kid. I mean, those families were large at that time. So we're looking at anywhere from 10 to 20,000, maybe even more. That number alone, that size of a crowd would have overwhelmed the local you know, shops where they could even have bought food. And yet we see here in verse 17 that there are only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, bread and dried or maybe pickled fish would have been a good lunch for somebody, one person that was taking a short journey into the hills. And we learn more about the story in some of the other gospels. This is actually one of the miracles that is told in all four gospels. And in the gospel of John, which we will get into that when we go to the book of John later in this series, but he tells us that it was a lunch of a young boy, which is where they actually got this food. And so there's an indication here that these were very small, you know, they call them loaves of bread, but they were more like cakes of bread, like the size of dinner rolls, probably. And that would have been sufficient for one person's afternoon meal, not these full loaves like what you would get on a grocery store shelf today. And so we learn later that in the book of John, we learned that these were made of barley and that was the main staple food in Israel, especially for the poor people. So this is a little boy, a poor little boy's lunch. And so in verse 19, it says that Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. This is super interesting because there's a number of things going on here. There would have been at that time frame, the tradition of the blessing. And so Jesus taking those five loaves and those two fish, he it says he put them on a rock. 
and he gave basically a common Jewish blessing. And at that time frame, it would have been something to the effect of blessed are you, O God, king of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. That was a very common Jewish blessing at that time frame. So whether or not he said those exact words, we don't know. But that rock has actually been turned into an altar and you can actually go visit that rock in that region. Pay attention, though, to what's also happening. And maybe you picked up on it, maybe you didn't. But there's a little bit of foreshadowing that's happening here as well. We see it here in this story. And then we also see it later in the feeding of the 4,000, which is a different story. And then even later, we see the same language when Jesus feeds the disciples the Last Supper. So the common language in these passages includes four verbs and two nouns. It's the taking the bread giving thanks, breaking the bread, and then giving it to the disciples. I don't know if you ever picked up on that, but what Jesus is doing here and even what Matthew is doing as the, as the writer, as he's writing these things down, he's foreshadowing some of the things that we're going to see coming from Jesus as he continues his ministry. And, you know, there was an expectation that hosts that were generous would not provide just enough food, but more than enough food, so much so that there would have been some food left over. That would have been a mark of a good host. So the fact that there was leftover food is consistent with this Jewish idea of what it meant to be a good host. Jesus is a good host. In addition to just feeding hungry people, there's some things that we see that God is doing through this message, through this story. The first is that it's proof of the Lord's power to perform miracles. You know, up until this time, we've seen rather small miracles that have just involved, you know, just maybe one person or, or a handful of people. But this is a large scale miracle. This is a provision for thousands of people. Just think about that scene for a minute. Probably 10 to 20,000 people. At the very least, it's probably at least 10,000 people. 10,000 people. And he has provided for their physical needs for 10,000 people. This is proof over the power of Jesus to do the miraculous. The second thing is it points to Jesus as the bread of life. And by bread of life and what we learn throughout the Gospels is that Jesus is the one who provides for us, not just our body, but our spirit. And of course, he's giving them spiritual food, but he's also providing physical food for them. See, Jesus cares about our brains and our spirits and our bodies as much as he cares about our soul. And so it's such a great example of how Jesus is a provider for us. The third thing is this example of the compassion of Jesus for people, especially people that are in need, people that are hungry. I think sometimes we forget that. And, you know, even within the body of Christ today, I can't tell you how many churches that I've seen where, you know, children will come in and they come in hungry and the church is like, well, I mean, here's some fishy crackers. But yet we have a responsibility as believers to care for those that are hungry and in need. And so things like food pantries or, you know, when I was a children's pastor, one of the things we would always do is have peanut butter and jelly available. And I guess in these days, peanut butter is a no-no, so you can have jelly or something else, pretzels or something a little bit more substantial. But we always had food available for kids that came in the door because trying to teach a child or anybody for that matter, a spiritual principle when their belly is is rumbling, they can't hear that message. And so this is such a practical view of Jesus meeting their physical needs and their spiritual needs. Another thing is, 
it teaches that regardless of how little we have, we're talking a couple pickled or dried fish and a couple little rolls of bread and from a poor boy and it was made out of barley. But yet God can multiply and the effects of what we surrender to him, he can do great things with that. God can do so much with very little if we trust it to him. And, you know, it's not like the little boy held back one of those roles. He gave everything he had to Jesus. And I think sometimes, even in my own life, I'm guilty of kind of almost playing like ping pong. Like I want to give everything to Jesus, but not all of it. I want to save just a little bit back for me, just in case, just in case. And yet what we see here is God multiplied beyond the wildest imagination, what we could ever think or dream of. We see God take the surrendered gift from this little boy and he takes it and he multiplies it and he meets the needs of people. And I just want to encourage you that no matter how little you think you have, surrendering it to God is what he wants from you. And then you can sit back and you can watch the testimony of what he does with that gift. And then the last thing I think is important to remind us is this fact that Jesus involves his followers in his miracles. You know, we talk about this in my book, She Hears Learning to Listen to Jesus. We talk about this over and over where we see the servants of Jesus, like in, in the wedding at Cana, the, the first people that ever saw any of the miracles of Jesus were the servants, those that were serving. They get up close to you. And what we see here again is that Jesus wants to involve his followers in his miracles. And I think sometimes we forget that because maybe Jesus isn't standing here physically with skin on in front of us, but yet he has empowered us through the Holy Spirit to meet the needs of those around us. And he wants to involve you in the things that he's doing. And, you know, if maybe you haven't picked up on this, and one last thing before we reread this passage, there's something to be said for the leftovers. The collection of 12 basketfuls represented the 12 tribes. And what that was, was this picture. Again, remember who Matthew's audience was. It was primarily a Jewish audience to who Matthew was writing to. This was a representation of Jesus as the Messiah that has come to provide for them. And the Jewish people would have recognized that 12 tribes is represented by those 12 baskets of leftovers. And so Jesus has performed this miracle on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, which is primarily a Jewish area. And so as the Jewish audience is recognizing this, it's helping them to understand that Jesus truly is the Messiah. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread starting at verse 13. Now, when Jesus had heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard about this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he came ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is secluded and the hours already passed to eat. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. And ordering the crowds to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up toward heaven. He blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. God, we thank you that God math 
is different than human math. And even with the little bit that we think that we have, this little sacrifice that we have to offer you, God, help us to recognize that in our surrender, you can multiply that in a huge way to impact the kingdom. God, help my friends that are listening today, even right now, think about what it means to surrender their gift to you. God, that thing that's burning in their heart, that thing that's on the tip of their heart or their mind or their spirit, God, would you reveal that to them? And would you help them to trust you because you are trustworthy? God, I thank you also for this picture that we are reminded of, that you want to involve us in the things that you're doing. God, I pray that even now, my friends would recognize the ways that you are working in their lives and the invitation you extend to us to be involved in the things that you're doing. God, I thank you for the way that your word reveals your heart of compassion. I thank you and praise you in all things. Amen. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. Hey, friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things, we hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.